Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 324. It's titled, 2020, the year we will never forget. Yesterday, Lapril and I went to the dentist for the first time in a year. We were a little apprehensive. My dentist, Tony, is a close friend from high school. We booked an appointment at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, the first appointment after the office had sat empty the entire weekend. This was the closest that Lapril and I have physically been to anyone since mid-March. It shows how strange this year has been. Tony made fun of my hair. I've not cut my hair since February. It's the longest it's been really since high school. We're wrapping up 2020. It's December. I looked back at the 42 episodes that I have recorded and produced of the regular podcast. The first episode that I did with regards to the pandemic, was episode 286. I released it on February 5th, 2020. It was titled Coronavirus and the Financial Impact of Pandemics. I pointed out that the economy had been in a slowing pattern for over a year, but it had not fallen off of a cliff. The recession risk had not spiked. There was a risk out there, but it wasn't imminent, and the the economy seemed like it was bottoming. Now, that might have been delayed because of the coronavirus pandemic, I said, but I wasn't overly concerned. I mentioned the Federal Reserve had never cut interest rates in response to a pandemic, so things would have to get much, much worse for them to do it this time. And did they ever? A month later, they cut interest rates to zero. They went over the pattern of pandemics. Typically, there's an initial hit to the economy because people are not shopping, as they usually do. They're afraid to go out. They don't travel like they typically do. Production slows down. But then about a year later, generally speaking, the economy rebounds back to trend. So it doesn't have a permanent impact if the virus can be contained. At the time, we didn't know how severe the pandemic would be. The worst pandemic in the modern era, was the 1918 influenza pandemic. 500 million people, or one-third of the world's population, was infected with that virus. 50 million deaths worldwide. About 675,000 deaths in the U.S. In that episode, I shared other incidences of pandemics, such as the 1968 influenza pandemic, where a million people died worldwide and 100,000 in the U.S. Who would have thought that the COVID-19 pandemic would be the second worst pandemic in the modern era? As of today, 
there have been 67.8 million confirmed COVID-19 cases, 1.5 million deaths, 15 million cases in the U.S., and 284,000 deaths. Worse than the 1968 influenza pandemic. Worse than the 2009 swine flu pandemic that had 130,000 deaths worldwide and 12,000 in the U.S. Worse than SARS, MERS, Ebola, the Zika virus. No one that I'm aware of accurately predicted that things would get this severe. At least not back in January or early February when I released that episode. My mother passed away a couple weeks after that episode. I happened to be flying back to Cincinnati at the time and arrived at her house less than an hour after she passed away. We chose to delay the funeral until March 15th so family members could gather together. It was a Saturday. It was a beautiful service. It was great to visit with friends and family to sit around the table with my cousins who I hadn't seen in several years. But after that, that same day, finally the pandemic hit. This is not normal, what we're seeing. And we started sheltering in place right then. We didn't even see family members the next day. We flew back to Arizona. Our daughter left university to start studying at home with us. Our son and daughter-in-law moved in because she wasn't able to attend her classes and took them online. And that's been the experience of many of us. For many, it has been worse because they've gotten sick or a loved one passed away. And clearly for them, 2020 will be unforgettable. March 23rd, I did an episode, episode 291, How to Survive the COVID-19 Shutdown. And I said, what do we do to survive? We avoid ruin and help others avoid ruin. Ruin being dying, having our businesses destroyed, going bankrupt, not making it through the next three, six, or nine months. And it's been nine months. I said, we don't know how long it'll be, but that we have to follow the precautionary principle, which is to take preventive action in the face of uncertainty. We had no idea. I have laughed repeatedly thinking back to the SNL skit, the Saturday Night Live skit, where the characters are going to a fortune teller and it's late 2019 and they're all excited about their 2020 plans and the fortune teller says it's not going to be anything like that. She won't say it's a pandemic, but she just gives glimpses of what life is like and <laughs> mentions they'll be washing their potato chip bags and complaining that they're not using enough soap to get the bag clean. And that's where we were in March, wiping down our groceries. We were afraid to look anyone in the eye for fear we would get infected by COVID-19. We took preventive action in the face of uncertainty. Something is uncertain if we don't know what could happen or we don't know the odds of what will happen. We can't put probabilities to it. Something is risky if there's a narrow range of outcomes with odds that can be estimated. With COVID-19, it's uncertain. It was uncertain. Something that is risky can be insured against. We can buy insurance because there are known probabilities that can be estimated, but not with uncertainties. There, we can just take preventive action so that we're not ruined. And from an investing standpoint, many of us did. 
on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. We reduced stock exposure by 10 percentage points on March 2nd, 2020. And by March 16th, we also reduced credit risk as well as reduced stock exposure even more. I reduced risk in my portfolio March 7th, 11th, 18th, and 19th, incrementally. I did buy an individual Treasury Inflation Protection Security on March 19th because yields popped for about three days there. What I should have done is sold the puts that I had bought that benefited from the drop in a bank loan ETF. It was up about nine times what I paid for it, but I got greedy and didn't sell for months. I did sell at a profit, but one of the things that I learned from an investment standpoint is with hedges like that, once fear spikes, take profits. Because in this modern era of central banking, central banks will step up and do what they can. We discussed that in episode 292, Will Infinite Money Save the Economy? And we went over the programs that the Federal Reserve announced. An expansion of quantitative easing, where they would buy $75 billion per day of Treasury securities, $1.6 trillion a month, $50 billion a day of mortgage-backed securities. They would make $300 billion of loans available to investment-grade corporations. They would buy investment-grade corporate bonds and ETFs, including bonds that have been downgraded. They announced the Main Street Business Lending Program and other programs. On that episode, I mentioned Scott Pelley's 60-minute interview with Neil Kashkari, who sits on the board of the Federal Reserve. Pelley asked him, can you categorize what the Fed has done this week as flooding the system with money? Kashkari responds, yes, exactly. Pelley, and is there no end to your ability to do that? Kashkari, there is no end to our ability to do that. There is an infinite amount of cash at the Federal Reserve. We will do whatever we need to do to make sure there's enough cash in the banking system. That was around March 20th. On April 9th, we started adding risk again to the model portfolios, and I added them to my portfolio. We started small, an investment in investment-grade corporate bonds because the Fed was there backstopping it. On June 4th, we added stocks to the portfolio again. Small company stocks in the U.S. and Japan and preferred stocks. On June 17th, I released an episode, Investing is Not Knowing. And I quoted Howard Marks, who wrote in one of his memos, Investing is positioning capital to profit from future developments. But there's no such thing as knowing what future developments will be. I did that episode because I was a little bummed that the market had fallen fairly sharply in June after making those allocation decisions to increase stocks in the models and in my portfolio. I quoted Eric Agner, professor of philosophy at Stockholm University, who talked about having epistemic humility, which he called an intellectual virtue. He said, it's grounded in the realization that our knowledge is always provisional and incomplete and that it might require revision in light of new evidence. True experts, unlike charlatans, express themselves in ways that mirror the limitations. We don't know what's going to happen. All we know is what is happening now. 
And based on what conditions are, we make our best decisions. If we knew how this was going to play out, we would have just bought Tesla or other big cap growth companies that have done very well during the pandemic. If we had perfect foresight, but we didn't. Or we wouldn't have done anything and just kept our existing portfolio, which is a very viable way to invest. If you were not going to be ruined by a potential 60% loss in stocks and a recovery that could take years, then you didn't need to do anything. And many didn't. But I could have been ruined. So I reduced risk. And maybe not ruined. I would have been fine. I went through my investments at that time and figured out how big could my net worth get hit across the board from my private real estate holdings to equities to private capital. We would not have been ruined, but it would have hurt. These are the calculations we have to make in the face of uncertainty and then choose. If we had had perfect foresight, we would have just bought speculative assets, which have done extremely well. The Federal Reserve cut interest rates to zero, and interest rates have fallen to very, very low levels, which means the opportunity cost to invest in speculative assets, such as Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and gold, is low, and they've done very, very well. I did add to my Bitcoin position in March, as well as to Ethereum, Bitcoin had fallen 50% down to 5,165 in mid-March. I added, I think it was at 6,700. Now Bitcoin's at 19,000. Gold fell to a low of $1,479 in March. It reached a high of $2,070 on August 7th. Now it's at 1839 up 25% year to date. Speculation is fine. We just don't want that to be the workhorse of our investment portfolio. Because it's binary. We should avoid investments that the outcome is either you win or you lose. Better to have investments that have some cash flow to them, some income, so you can still earn some money even if it falls in price. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. 
But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. On August 7, 2020, we increased risk again in the model portfolios, took profits in the investment-grade corporate bonds, and added two active bond managers, including one that had exposure to non-investment-grade bonds. Around that time, we released episode 310, Why the Economy and Stock Market Are Rebounding So Quickly. Because they had. It was the fastest bear market recovery ever. And it was because there was a lack of a debt crisis. Households were in a better situation than they had been, for example, leading to the great financial crisis of 2008. The markets and the economy recovered faster because there was a disproportionate impact on lower income households, which make up a large percentage of the populace, but a smaller percentage of overall income that drives economic growth. We discussed why that's the case in episode 323, released last week, why the economy is not a machine, and what's driving that income inequality, this drive for efficiency and solutions to that. A third reason the economy has recovered so quickly is central banks and federal governments have been extremely generous in providing help to the markets and to individuals. Some countries could have been more generous. Now that COVID-19 is as severe as it has ever been, even though we know more, additional help is needed. By late October, early November, as the U.S. presidential election was coming to a close, and as part of the early November investment conditions report, I wrote, while additional shutdowns will weigh on economic growth, as COVID-19 pandemic approaches its one-year anniversary, households and businesses have adapted. While there will be economic disruptions, there is less risk of a renewed global recession. Development continues on a COVID-19 vaccine, with the first vaccines anticipated to be available in the first quarter of 2021. As a result, we increased, again, the allocation to stocks in the model portfolio examples of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Sometimes your timing is a little bit lucky. We made those changes just a few days before Pfizer announced their successful phase three trial of the vaccine. But we were looking at other signs that things were improving. And indeed, people have adapted to the pandemic. It's still heart-wrenching. It's still extremely serious. We're still mostly locked down, but we actually are willing to go out. I saw an article in the New York Times where they surveyed 700 epidemiologists. 85% are willing to go out to stores to run errands. 
most are unwilling to attend a concert or a church service or eat indoors at a restaurant, but we do have more flexibility and can feel more comfortable going out, meeting with friends and family, socially distanced, outdoors. So it doesn't seem so daunting like it was back in March, and it's still extremely serious. I know more people now that have gotten COVID than at any time since the pandemic hit. But there's light at the end of the tunnel because of these coming vaccines. There's still risk of market sell-offs, as I mentioned in that investment conditions report. But the risk of a bear market driven by a prolonged economic contraction is low. Things are improving and will improve throughout 2021 as the vaccine is distributed. Back in May 2020, I released an episode on how the pandemic has changed us. And I talked about three ways, less, local, and leap. And by less, we were consuming less. And indeed, people were saving more. If we look at personal savings in the U.S. as a percentage of disposable personal income, so income after taxes, it was at 7.2% in December 2019. Jumped to 33% in April when the stimulus checks were received, but remains even recently at 13.6%. There is pent-up demand and savings that will most likely be a tailwind to the economy going into next year. When we talk about local, housing prices have soared, and I've done an episode on buying a house in the housing market. I had no idea at the beginning of this pandemic that we would sell two houses move out to our cabin in Idaho and move to a different house in Arizona. We're spending more time in the local region as opposed to traveling overseas. Most of us are obviously like that. And then leaping. What have we done? We've had a lot of free time to be at home. I saw an interview in the New York Times with Paul McCartney, who recorded and produced a new album this year. So did Taylor Swift. Many other musicians do the same thing. I re-recorded and produced 19 new educational videos on the website, wrote nine investment guides on different asset types. We moved our website to a completely different platform, switched email marketing platforms, and many other things. We acted, which is all we can do based on where we are and where things are. I'm listening to a book by Seth Godin called The Practice, and he points out principles that apply to life and investing, that we can't control the outcome. All we can do is to control the work we do, to seek to make change happen, to figure out what is it that we do, what's it for, and who's it for, and just ship the creative work that we do and not fret so much about the outcome, will people like it or not. Some feedback is helpful as we iterate what it is that we're producing But we can't stake our ability to continue to do the work on whether people like it or not. We have to just focus on what we can control, and that's the work. The same principle applies to investing. As Howard Mark says, investing is positioning capital to profit from future developments. But there's no such thing as knowing what future developments will be. But he also says that we can take the market temperatures. We can look at where things are. What's the cash flow being generated by different investments in terms of their dividend yield or their interest rate? How is that cash flow growing? What are investors paying for that cash flow with regards to valuation? What's the macroeconomic environment in which those cash flows are being generated? Is it improving 
which increases the odds that cash flows will grow faster? What's the level of fear and greed in the market? How richly priced are securities based on what investors expect the cash flow will be? That's all we have. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen in 2021. Hopefully it'll be better. But from an investment standpoint, corporate profits will be better. Analysts expect corporate profit growth around the world of 22%. More companies than ever are having their earnings estimates increased. And they're beating those estimates. What we don't know is whether they will actually grow at 22%. Perhaps the growth will be less. And investors have priced some assets for very, very high growth. Valuations for stocks by some metrics are as high as they've been in 20 years. That doesn't mean we don't invest. Last week, I added investments in some active value managers, something that I haven't done since coming out of the great financial crisis. Managers that I trust that have gotten terribly beat up, such as Longleaf Partners and Tweety Brown. And to see the valuations of their portfolios, they're concentrated. But that's been a strategy that has worked for me over the years. One of the few times I use active management, instead of allocating to an ETF that has very rich valuations, I allocate to an active manager that's cheaper. That's why we allocated to small cap stocks in the U.S. and Japan. They were cheaper than the big cap indices. When you think back on 2020, what will make it notable to you? What will you remember besides the heartache of the pandemic? We will remember this year. This year has been unlike any year that we've had in a long time. Probably the most notable year from a macro standpoint since 2008. But this will be even more memorable because of how it impacted our daily life. But hopefully it'll be memorable for other things. What you've accomplished, how you have reoriented your life, what has become a bigger priority, what do you care about more? As you consider what it is that you do, who's it for, what's it for, and what change are you seeking to make in the years ahead? That's episode 324. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you would like to become a better investor, there's two ways I can help. First, consider signing up for my free email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. This is where I'll share with you expert insight on money, investing, and the economy in written form, some of the best writing I do each week. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. A second way to become a better investor is to become a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This community is for serious investors that want to access professional-grade portfolio tools, training, and a community to build an institutional-quality investment portfolio and adapt it as market conditions evolve over time. We would love to have you as a member, and you can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.